It's Thursday, May 30th, 2019, and you're listening to episode 515 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 59 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. All right, so... We're trying to mitigate the dog noise here. He's got a raw hide instead of his usual bone clicking. So, and he doesn't have the squeaky squirrel thing or the. Yeah, we had duck. to take that away because he was squeaking his. I don't know what it is. I guess it's a squirrel. I'm not really sure what the animal's yeah. supposed to be. I mean, be. it's pretty chewed up. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, and you know, so it's kind of disturbing because if you think about it, most higher animals. Their play mimics life skills. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for example, if you look at human play, we tend to play especially- accountants and oh yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. you put a baby in a cubicle. No, farm I mean, and- I mean, you think about it, and and kids, what do they play? They play guns. They play house. They mm-hmm. play things that tend to mimic right usable life skills that are necessary to survival of the species. But you know, with dogs, they're no different than that. They play according to the skills that they need to develop to Mm -hmm. survive and so they like to tug on things because that's useful to them tearing meat from a corpse they like to chase after things because they want to make a corpse to tear the meat yeah exactly (laughs) chasing things is part of their play cats do the same thing they like it when you make something move Mm -hmm. in a similar way to how a bird or a rodent, or an insect would move. And with dogs, the reason they like squeaky toys is, I mean, it's really simple. Squeaking sounds like the animal screaming. Mm -hmm. And so to them, that's a pleasurable thing, because that means they've successfully caught and are tearing apart a live animal. Good job, doggo. (laughs) And yeah, it's really horrifying when you think about this in terms of a house pet. Right. But in nature, it makes perfect sense. Mm Mm-hmm. That they would enjoy the sound of a chipmunk or a squirrel or a rabbit or whatever screaming in its death throes. So and, the microwave beeping going off or the timer yeah, in your kitchen thing. Exactly. Done. Yeah. yeah. Or smelling bacon and coffee mm-hmm. in the morning. Ooh, and so bacon. we just do this for them in the terms of little plastic and rubber squeakers that ship with their toys. But, I mean, what do you think that sounds like to them? I mean, this is the connection. Sounds like bacon and coffee. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like bacon and coffee and rabbits dying in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that's how they run with that. So, anyways, hopefully his rawhide chewing isn't as noticeable as his uh, bone chewing. But The bone one is bad because the bone is hollow and it carries and it it has this sort of deeper sound to it. Yeah, the rawhide just more... I guess squeaks. I'm not even sure it's the mics are like picking that up. Yeah, they may not. I, I hope they're not. Anyway, all right. Before we get into today's topic, I want to throw out one announcement here real quick, which is we mentioned a little while oh, back. Oh, is this a ver- vote early, vote often? Uh, we're not going to get them disqualified. Because <laughs> for us in the Andes, it was funny because we joked and then they took it seriously. But we're, we're not trying to get somebody else disqualified. So Jason Fisher and his daughter... They do a show called Reading Radio, and this is a father-daughter podcast. We mentioned this in one of our previous episodes. It's a wonderful show, and we support absolutely what they are doing. And 
right now they are up for an award at a local convention. I think it's what Columbus. Yeah, for Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. And there is an online voting thing to determine who will win this award. And the only thing that I'd like more than Jason Fisher winning this award is his daughter winning this award. Yeah, because he has a podcast on there, but he also has one with his daughter on there. And I voted for the one with the daughter, and that's the one we're going to give you the link to. Yeah, that's that's the one that matters. So if you are listening to this right now, I hope that if you believe in what this podcast stands for, we stand for encouraging kids, for spreading the love of education, all that stuff. And, you know, I'm sure there are other great shows on there. But, no, there aren't. You know, and, they're okay. all like truth, Palladium podcasts. Well, yeah, stuff, they are so. Palladium tier podcasts. Now, truth be told, one or two of them, I looked at the names and it's like, are you f***ing kidding me? <laughs> like, th- this is seriously what you're putting out there. But I'm not going to name the shows because our show does not thrive on drama. So I'm not going to start a feud with some other podcast. Like a real feud. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll make fun of Gamer's Table and uh, <laughs> Happy Jacks. Happy Jacks until, what's their name? Oh, what's yeah, their name? Whoever that is out on the West Coast <laughs> until we're blue in the face. But we're not serious. But I'm not going to start real drama with anybody. But what I am going to say is this is a podcast that just stands for everything good. Mm-hmm. And so I hope you guys will get out there and vote for it. Please check the show notes. Uh, we are going to link to where you go to vote, and I will note the name of the show. Please don't do anything to derail their contest or get them disqualified. Hmm. I have to say that. Yep. I can't control what you actually do. But please. the competition <laughs> does encourage them to reach out on social media. Yes. And whatever means they have to get friends and family aimed towards them. So And so we are the, we are the friends, if not the family. So please do get out there and vote for Reading Radio both in their category and also they're eligible for best overall, the cross-category category. So please do get out there and vote for that. And once again, I will put a link to that in the show notes and everything you need. So there you go. Go forth and do. Now. So the topic we're going to talk about today for role-playing games is introducing the new. And we're talking about this in terms of introducing a new setting a new system to people that have never played it before. The boundary I'm going to set before I pump this over to Wayne, because he was the one that brought this up. No, he wasn't. Oh, it was you? But we're pumping it over to him anyway. (laughs) Okay, that's fine. I'm a few margaritas deep. So It was not only Chad that brought it up, it was recommended by... Viminion? Viminion, yeah. Good old Viminion on Discord. All right. So what I'm going to say first off is that we are not talking about introducing role playing to a brand new virgin player. That's right. not what we're discussing this episode. If that's what you're looking for, we did a seven parter for episode 115. I think it's the best primer on role playing games ever done. And if you pronounce a primer, you are wrong. Who says primer? What? <laughs> I don't know, but people do. Did you make that up? No, no way people say that. They do. It's like pineapple huh. and pizza. People really uh, do this. Fan- it's fantastic. It is. Yeah, see, exactly. Exactly. Now you show your colors. Now uh, you wipe away the makeup and show me the mark of the beast. And Bacon pineapple pizza is amazingly good. It's not. And Pineapple and pizza belong together. No, And they, they don't. don't appreciate your judgment. That's right. I, I don't care. I really don't. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about 
pineapple pizza, nor are we talking about introducing someone who's brand new to role-playing to the hobby. Once again, we did a seven-parter for episode 115 that I think is a great way to get people in the hobby. Heck, I got Wayne into the hobby. So clearly at least works on some soulless asshole. But what we're talking about is introducing a new system or a new setting to experience role players who are first-time players of this particular system or setting. And this is particularly relevant to me right now because I'm about to do it. Relevant from my standpoint on this is I almost always run systems that we haven't done anything with before. Yeah. Because I like trying new systems. So almost every time I sit down to run a game, it's going to be a new system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you, you say that until you try Palladium and you're like, wow, I never should have <laughs> done that. I should have. Well, you have to do it once to know. Uh, okay, fair enough. Hey, I like new systems, but even I'm not touching Palladium. <laughs> yeah, it's you've got to do it just to realize, wow, maybe I should have stuck with old and familiar. <laughs> Palladium do Traveler? No. no. Okay, good. Because I do want to try Traveler. No, 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 no. Tra- Traveler's completely. And Traveler's I've, been done by a lot of different games. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've played in Church's Traveler game and had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I think it would be interesting old, to actually run one. I thought I saw somebody linking out if it was a joke or not. Maybe it's real. There's like a Traveler convention coming up. There's now a Traveler <laughs> card game? I don't, I don't know. I just work here. Go on, Wayne. Traveler the Flamethrower. All right. So pretty much every time is a new system Mm -hmm. at least settings a little different i know what i usually do uh one of the first things i have a problem with is when you're trying to create characters typically if it's a new system one person has the book yeah so i try to find the resources online and print out sheets for references for skills for whatever and pass them around the table same thing for basic rules like combat things like that i'll have cheat sheets printed and give out chad how well does that work I mean, I think it, I think it works pretty well. The, one of the logistical nightmares of introducing a new system, new setting, all that stuff that no one at the table has played, including the game master, is really a lack of resources. Yeah. Usually, there's just one book. Obviously, anybody can buy books and download the PDFs and that sort of thing. But why is someone going to run out and buy a book that they're just trying their first game of? Yeah, yeah. well, I, yeah. Mean, that's, I mean, we might not like it. You're asking somebody to invest thirty to fifty dollars. In a game that, one, they may not like. Mm-hmm. And two, even if they do like, if you look at the handbook for most role-playing games, for the character you're playing, I mean, what's relevant? Maybe a third of it? A fifth of it? Right. I mean, I'm just making up numbers here, but it's, it's a minority mm-hmm. of the pages. And it's very overwhelming to have a two or 300-page book when only... 50, 60, 75 of those pages are actually of any relevance to you. And you're probably presupposing that even of those pages, many of them will be explained to you during play that here's the handful of pages you need to know to create and play your character. But the rest of these are things like, well, combat's generic to everybody or or Mm -hmm. whatever. And so you're just kind of expecting that somebody else is going to guide you through that. And the book is more of a reference than something you're going to study cover to cover. I've thought about trying to go to the library and check out books before running a game just for that first session of character creation. Cause that's when you really need mm-hmm. the bigger resource, but pretty much unless it's D and D you're not going to find it at the library. Right. 
I think nowadays it's a lot easier to get these resources because, you know, everything is on PDF now. Yeah. And PDF games, depending on the production value and the popularity of the book, they could be pretty cheap. A lot of stuff is on wikis now. I think the problem that I have run into, hey, it's game day. I'm making a character. We have maybe two books because we got lucky. And, you know, they're being passed around amongst five, six people. I whip out my phone. I find a wiki on it. And the wiki is like half done. Or maybe it's fully done, but they're not putting everything in the kitchen sink in the wiki because they kind of want you to buy the book. Yeah. And I just don't have the. Or the other thing I've seen, they include. Here's some fan made stuff that we put in here as well. Mm, yeah. Here is the the splat book stuff that you don't have the splat book for, and you don't have all the content, but you have just enough of it that someone's creating the characters. Like that spell looks really cool, but I don't have all the details for yeah. it. Yeah, or it might have like in your example with the spell, it might have the spell just doesn't have any of the numbers because they want you to buy the book. Understandably. Well, yeah, and depending on the system, and also how cognizant the individual creating the wiki is of copyright law, there are certain things you're allowed to reproduce and certain things you're not. D&D is an easy example, but with D&D, I believe you're allowed to reproduce, and don't quote me on this, and please don't go out there and <laughs> test this, but the way I understand is that you're allowed to reproduce a certain portion of the text, but not other portions of the text. Hmm. And so you can describe a spell in concept, yeah. but the actual math of it and things like that may not be available to you. And I know it's that way with monsters. So some of the monsters are in the public domain. Yeah, Like you can't copyright a centaur, but you can copyright a particular picture of a centaur or the centauri god, you know, something that's completely yeah. made up. Yeah, well, and even then under the OGL, there were certain monsters that were covered by the OGL where you can reproduce them down to the stat in detail. Yeah. yeah. And then there were monsters that weren't. Using and, D&D as the, as the example, looking at spell schools, looking mm-hmm. at things like that, they'll give you the first one. So you can play the game, but you have no real options. I know that was a big thing for wizards with spell school. Sorcerers were uh, the origins, things like that. I'm sure other games do this too. It's just D&D is the obvious easy one to point to because it gives away so much for free online. One of the things that I like to do is get everyone in my group to use or just use myself an online character creator. If the game is not very popular or well-known, you're going to have trouble finding one. But if it is pretty well-known, you can find a lot of them. One of the issues that I run into with almost every popular character creator that I run into is that we've never played this game before. We only have the one book. We're just putting our toe in the water. But the character creator has 20 books worth of stuff in it. And so it's just like, okay, well, I need to pick out this class, and there's four classes. Nope, you do the drop-down, and it's 30 classes. Like, <laughs> I didn't even know there were orcs in this. This yeah, is like a space I game. I have this problem with... 5e for i'm blanking out on what the site was but something like orc pub yeah it had a really weird Mm -hmm. name orc pub was great yeah and it well it had two issues it's a great site i'm not Mm -hmm. bashing it it's a great site they're orcs you can bash it they can take it (laughs) but the the two issues that i had with this one is yeah it had 20 splat books worth of stuff yeah but the other was that the whole thing was centered around the organized play stuff right now it would let you kind of deviate from that but it would start getting really tweaky at least when i used it now it's been a couple of years so maybe they straighten this out where if you tried to deviate from the norm to do something your game master was allowing you to do 
or to do a non-standard style of character creation mm-hmm. or something like yeah. that, well, see, it would start saying, well, I don't know, I don't really like you doing this. Yeah. And, well, and that's the problem with online character creators, too. It's like, well, I want to play this standard book, race, class, character, whatever. Boom, you can make that. Well, I want to do something that really isn't quite covered by the rules. Yeah. Now, the, I think the counter-argument is, are you sure you want to do that on your first go-around? And sure, my answer okay. is, yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, you can't come to my house and break my kneecaps for not following your rules. So tough. But it's you, one of the things I liked about Hero Labs is that we were talking about all these different splat books. You can go in when you create your character, you pick which splat books are allowed, which ones mm-hmm. aren't. You can go in and create an override custom things. The downside is it's ridiculously expensive. Well, because, for a reason, it's curated. Yeah, yeah. You get, I think it's like one book free. Mm-hmm. But if you want other systems in it, then you buy for the systems yeah. and it gets pretty expensive. I have a couple systems in there because I am a, I think it works really well, mm-hmm. but not something I would ask my players to go out and spend the money on. Sure. Well, okay. So that's like some rule stuff. I think, you know, on your first opening game, you're probably only going to have one book. Maybe if you have PDFs, yeah. you make copies and everyone has a laptop or yeah. whatever, however your game goes. Well, and let's pause there for a moment. Let's linger on this to say that I think some good advice is if you know the rules, whether you are the game master or the player who's pushing for this, I think one of the things you can do from a rule standpoint that's really going to help is to figure out what are the essential bits and pieces and to distill those down to a print-off, to distill those down to a website that you're agreeing you're going to use, whether that's like OrcPub or consistency. Yeah, yeah precisely. Very important. But you're you're creating some way. So and so has an Excel spreadsheet. So and so has a printout, but it's a custom printout they yeah. a, found in the dark web to a different game. I'm not. So and so is using a. But you know, I, I'm okay, not, that's a pet peeve for me as a GM when I'm running a new game. When each person has a different look for their character sheet, and they ask what they need to roll, and you're like. Okay, it's the third thing from the top. Yeah. No, it's but not. But on theirs, it's not. It's right, on the person right. to the left. If I'm trying to learn it to help them, I want up to all all the sheets to look the same. Well, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think consistency is important, but I think where I would begin with consistency is distillation. And this is something that I've seen done wonderfully by people like Meow Meow Matthews <laughs> at Fear the Con where I came in and played some Apocalypse World hack. I I don't remember, honestly, which Apocalypse hack it was. And when I sat down, he handed everyone a standardized character sheet, and there was a standardized list of, here are the actions you can take, and here's what you have to roll to succeed at or to perform each of these actions. So I knew I didn't have a 300-page rule book in front of me. I didn't have to own one. I wasn't having one tossed at me. It was right here, right now. Here is a really simple, standardized set of the things that I need to know. Battletech does this with, usually they have maybe like a two-page thing that you can photocopy in the back of most of the rule books. It has, here's your piloting roles, here's mm, your gunner like roles. Yeah, it's a great cheat sheet. And this is something that I don't know why they used to do this only on DM screens. It makes sense on DM screens. So my issue here is not that it was on those, but why was it only on those? But with D&D, the DM screens used to have those kinds of cheat sheets. 
of here's your equipment stuff, here's mm-hmm. your charts for this and your charts. I mean, all the basic things you needed, not for all the weird minutia of the game, but the old Pareto principle of the majority effects come from the minority of causes, the 80-20 mm-hmm. rule. So that 80% of the time you are referring to the same 20% of stuff. And it distilled it down to that. If here's your steps to character creation, here's your steps to 80 or 90% of the roles you're going to make. And the rest of it you can look up as needed. But if you're a first-time player, once again, assuming you know the general hobby and structure of role-playing, this is what you need to grok this system so one thing i did with the last game besides having the cheat sheets i printed out and having the you know here's how you make the character everything that they were going to need i spent the week before the game i read the chapters on character creation a couple times and then i took a notebook and i wrote down what each step was so while character creation was happening the one book didn't have to be in front of me because they're going to look through yeah. charts and graphs. Well, it depends on the system but some systems let's go back to orc pub which is the 5e thing, there are some systems that have websites that will take you step-by-step through character creation where you don't have to know the system per se. I mean, you may not totally understand the significance of the choices you're making, but you can at least see the gist of it. One of the things that I did in my 5e game that I got done running a little while back, I mean, it wasn't a completely new concept. You know, some of us had played 5e. I hadn't. Uh, we had all played D&D. But it was new for a lot of people. And, you know, the addition was very new. And I found it very helpful that when we made characters, I, as the game master, made a character along with them. And as part of, like, some of this conceptual thing I was doing, because I was, ma- I was having them make the king, yeah. make Oz, but I had a character sheet for him. We filled it out together. So let me interrupt you right there, Kanye West style, <laughs> except I'm probably not going to let you finish. But one of the things that I think is a terrible idea, and I do not know why yes, this bacon, is... Bacon, pineapple, pizza. We got it. Terrible no, idea. No, you're di- wrong. Different subject. <laughs> different subject. I'm waiting for Kevin Eastman's response on that. But one of the things that I really don't get that is apparently really common in role-playing though for some reason, thankfully, it is not common in our group. We have never done this. Is make your character at home show up when we're going to game. Why would you do that? Now, we've talked about this in context of the group template. Why are people wrong, Dan? I don't know. It's some people... We've been doing this since, what, 2006? I've been eating pizza since I was a little kid, and some people want to put pineapple on it. I I don't know. Pineapple and bacon, that's the key. Yeah, I don't know where the human race has gone wrong. But salt, fat, acid, it's all in one. It's great. <laughs> but we've talked about why this is a bad idea from a group template standpoint. We've talked about why this is a bad idea from a role-playing standpoint. But I think even from a character creation standpoint, especially if you have people that aren't familiar with the rules or can't agree on which splat rules are acceptable and which ones aren't, to have people create their characters in a vacuum and show up together One of the things that I have found is immensely helpful, especially in a new game. And I recommend this even for an old game. But doubly so in a new game is we're going to sit down and we're going to make our characters together. We're going to take step one 
is you roll these dice or have this many points or whatever it is to do your attributes. And people at the same time ask, well, what does this attribute mean? What's its significance? Where does it fit into the game? Okay, now we're going to move on to skills or perks or equipment or whatever. And while all this is going on, it's not just a matter of right, rolling or writing down the numbers and doing the math. It is together with everyone there talking about the concepts, talking about how are we going to link these characters, or this is what I'm thinking about playing. This is the kind of person I'm thinking about playing, and you're thinking about playing this other kind of person. What if they're rivals? What if yeah. they're, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea, and then you, well, you go the, there. The other thing is once you reach the math part and you're actually doing it, you now have a whole table of people trying to figure it out. Right. If you haven't run this before, you may not be catching everything. Yeah. I've got one player at the table that consistently... Every time she makes a character, she shortchanges herself. Yeah. And I look over her math and I point out where she can get more stuff. <laughs> and she, this is a veteran role player, but for some uh-huh. reason, when it comes to character creation, something happens and she shortchanges herself every single time. This is the total opposite of my problem experiences. <laughs> <laughs> I have had a couple of people ask me to start running a local role playing game that they can get in on. Mm-hmm. All right, because yep. there are people that love to role play, really hungry for this. And so this is something that I am doing, period. All right. Now, there are a couple other people that you has, did not ask my permission. I'm getting to that. Oh, oh there, are a, there are a couple people that have said they want to be involved, but don't know if they could make it on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. I'm going to run either a Star Trek game or a Solaris 7 Battletech game mm-hmm. where the people will play either a stable or a co-op of Solaris combatants, and we're going to get into all the seedy underworld and mafioso and whatever type of stuff that goes along with that. So it's going to be Battletech with this underworld sort of spin. Now, I don't know which of these games I'm going to run. But what I do know is I've, I've pitched this to the people who have said they have no role-playing group. They're not playing anything right now, and they really want to be involved in something and I've gotten very positive feedback. So this is still an idea that's in its chrysalis phase. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, it is preparing to hatch. And with either of these games, either a Solaris 7 spin on Battletech or with Star Trek, I am looking at a system and setting where a good percentage of the players are not going to know one, the other, or both. And I would say particularly with Solaris 7 Battletech, because Solaris 7 has its own rule set that's a little bit different than Battletech, probably both. But let's use Star Trek as an example, because Star Trek is perhaps the easier one to explain. And I was an about amazing to say, game. I was about to say, from a setting standpoint, if you're going to run Battletech, Solaris 7 is probably an easier setting to digest than an entire universe. Well, but I would agree, except for the fact that Star Trek is such a cultural staple. Yeah. That, you know, if you ask people the details of Star Trek, like, you know, exactly what happened with the transwarp conduits at the end of Voyager, they're going to be a little confused. But if you say, what is a Vulcan? What is a Klingon? Oh, no, I definitely agree there. I just mean comparing Battletech to Solaris. Sure. Battletech. Okay, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. But let's take Star Trek as an example. One of the things we've talked about with Star Trek is Star Trek in the edition that I prefer, which is the old way out of print, fastest second edition. 
they take character creation in phases where you start off with what did you do as a child? And you have to explain that and roll certain dice and the dice then create sort of an emergent story you may or may not have expected. Unlike Traveler, you can't die in character creation. That's correct. You can't die in character creation. And you can fail, but not die. Then you go on from that to your academy experiences and then your cadet crews. And how many times did you flunk that before you actually got promoted? I actually really love that type of thing. Like I wouldn't want it for every game that I played. But for people that aren't as familiar with a setting or don't already know what character they have in mind, you're sure. going to come out with a character that is you would have never come up with on your own. Oh, yeah. And then you have to get into that character and think, how did this character come to this right. point? Now, I'm using Star Trek as the example, but I think the exact same thing would apply, albeit in different ways, to Solaris 7. But what I could say is, let's say we're doing childhood, Okay. So I could say right now, do either of you know exactly what dice you roll and exactly what they mean for the childhood phase of a character in Star Trek? And I know the answer is no. All right. Now, within the FASA rule books, there is an explanation of how many dice you get, how they can be spent or not spent, whether they can be stacked or not stacked, like whether you can spend them all in one skill or you have to spread them out across multiple skills. There is an explanation of which skills you can pick. For example, you cannot come out of childhood being an expert like warp theory. Okay, you have to pick that up later. So you can't play Wesley Crusher? No, thank God. <laughs> but, you know, the fact is that these are things that you guys would not know. Now, the same thing is going to be true in Battletech Solaris 7, but I'm going to stick with Star Trek because I'm going to assume that more people listening to this show no Star Trek than Battletech, much less Battletech Slayer 7. And so how do I communicate that? Well, now some of that is going to be narrative. I can kind of give you a context of, okay, imagine you're growing up and you're a child and you're on Earth, or maybe you're in the back alleys of some colony, and maybe you're a good boy going to school, or maybe you're a bad boy running the streets and picking pockets, whatever it is. But you need to start thinking about things in these set of contexts. And once you do that, here's a set of skills and here's the number of dice you get that you get to roll against. And I can hand you a sheet of paper or I can read off those skills. But I can tell you right now, I'm going to do this with everyone as a group. So you guys are all on the same page of understanding the same thing, asking the same questions, lining your characters up. Maybe even noticing like, oh, wow, I was thinking about being a back alley human and I was thinking about being a back alley Andorian. Maybe we were running in the same gang and we know each other from this or or whatever the case may be. And out of this is going to come a set of very consistent characters. And now I might read those skills out or I might hand you guys a cheat sheet, whether typed or handwritten or photocopied out of the book. That says, these are the skills you get to roll against, and here's how you pick the dice and whatever. And so I'm going to be walking you guys through this where I'm going to give you a chart, but I'm going to be explaining that chart. I'm not expecting you to have read this book cover to cover. I'm going to explain to you what it means. I'm going to explain to you distinctions. For example, in the Star Trek system that FASA uses, you can have a skill 
that is set, all skills are set on a 1 to 100 basis. So you may say, well, what's the point of having eight points on a skill? Well, the answer is that in Star Trek, if you do a high-complexity task, like we want a site-to-site beam three people, but not the fourth, and do something weird, and leave the fourth in the buffer, that you have to roll the percentile dice. So if you've got an eight, you've only got an 8% chance of succeeding at this. But if you're doing an everyday task, you only roll a D10. And if you have at least a 10, you don't need to roll at all. So if you're just trying to beam someone up from a planet to the ship, and there's no weird interference, there's no weird side task, you're just trying to beam a party up to the ship, and you have an 8, you don't roll percentile dice. You roll single D10, all you got to do is get an 8 or less. You have at least a 10, you don't roll at all. You just automatically do it, unless the game master gives you some weird penalties. And so these are the kinds of things where I might hand you a chart that says, here's the 20 skills you can pick from from your childhood. But the significance of these skills, the mechanics of these skills, the types of things that you would only get from reading the book cover to cover, I am going to explain to you on the spot. What you have in front of you is a shorthand reference of the buttons you can push and the levers you can pull and what that's going to mean for your character when the dice actually hit the table. Sounds like a lot of work up front for the Game Master. Sure. If the Game Master has never run or used or played in the system before. It 100% is, but I will tell you straight up, look, I'm not saying it's fair. As the president of the GM party, I'm going to tell you it's not fair, it's not right, but what few studies there have been done of the role-playing industry have always found, you want to know who it is that introduces new settings and new systems to a group? Guess who? It's the it's game the player master. who never shows up and is always on their phone. Sure, exactly. That, that's exactly right. It's totally not the game master. Right. It, it's the game master. And if you as a game master are like, man, I really want to run this game, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just saying it's reality. You're going to have to be prepared to do some work up front to ease these lazy-ass, useless-ass players into... <laughs> a new world that they will thoroughly enjoy. I think it depends on the complexity of the system. So as you described it, you know, you're going through the rules on Star Trek and I was really glazing over there for a sure. while. So even though you <laughs> played it, even though I played, well, yeah, I, mean, yeah. Well, I played it like 20 years ago or something. Sure. You know, seriously. Okay. That's but, fair. I've actually run it more recently, but you weren't yeah. in those games. And the complexity of this so for a real complex system like that. Yeah. I think it really behooves kind of at least one person and yeah, the game master to have a pretty good understanding of what's going on if you plan on using the rules to that level and not just hand wave stuff all the time. Yeah, you're the arbiter of the rules. You have to understand yeah. to a and degree. If you want to do a lot of hand waving stuff, like the other end of that is okay, you know, you've read the, the book a little bit, and maybe other people read the book a little bit, and you, you kind of got like the basics down and Everyone learns as they go. You know, it's like, okay, well, I want to beam this guy down, but I want to do this weird thing with the buffer and all that sort of stuff. Okay, let's take a sec. How do we do that? We're all going to learn that. Or you could say, well, this is a really tense plot point. Well, we're just going to hand wave it. What you really should not do in that case, if you're not willing to become a rules expert before the game, what you really should not do is make up the rule. 
Like, just roll me percentile, and we'll figure it out later. Because what's going to happen is there's going to be two or three games. You're not going to figure it out later. They're going to want to try something similar but and, different. And then you're going to be like, uh, just roll me a d20. Uh, whatever's lower. But well, you've yeah. set a precedent. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's it's this inconsistency. So let me it's and it's not even... Even if the gamers are like, well, that's unfair. Well, you did for this, like... Because, believe me, that, that will come up. But even if your gamers aren't like that, it's just... Why even have the system? You know, yeah, it's yeah. because you're you're not using it, and that's fine because it's complex. But so let me tell you a, a real story that came up, and also does tie back to Star Trek. So it's in theme here, and both on topic and on point of reference. So for anyone who doesn't know the history of Star Trek as a franchise, obviously you had the original the playing game. No, I oh, mean the, Star the, Trek the itself. Thing. Yeah, yeah. So it originally started Cowboys as, in a Submarine. Yeah, more or less. It was, well, actually, it was a destroyer, but yeah, the submarine was the Romulans. But it started off as three seasons of a failed science fiction show in the late 1960s, and it only became popular in the 1970s. What was intended at that point was because of the fact that it found renewed success, and this was also coming in at about the same time as the popularity of Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica and Logan's Run. Well, I mean, a bunch of other science fiction series. Science fiction enjoyed a revival, messed up as it was in the nineteen seventies. And what happened was they said, you know, we need to bring this show back, and so we're going to make a series called Star Trek Phase Two. That was their working name for it. Where we're in the bring- animated series before that too. They did, but there was supposed to be a live action show that had Kirk and Spock and McCoy and all that, and the redesigned Enterprise, so it became known as the 1701A, you know, or whatever, that had the more rectangular instead of cylindrical warp nacelles and all that stuff, and the red uniforms instead of the yellow, blue, and red ones, and and all that stuff was originally designed for a TV show known as Star Trek Phase 2. And what happened instead was they pushed that group off and that timeline off to the movies. So they made Star Trek The Motion Picture 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and they instead created Star Trek The Next Generation, which created a certain amount of bitterness between the two casts because of the fact that the original crew felt kind of screwed out of what was supposed to be their legacy that they were old and fat well i know i mean keep in mind we're talking the the, the this was being planned in the mm-hmm. 70s into the 80s they probably got more money from the movies anyway well i mean whatever the case was it i i, I mean it took them a while to warm up to the star trek the next generation crew as the inheritors of this okay so there was a a lot of things being passed from one series to the next so where this came up in the rules was, if you will recall from Star Trek The Motion Picture, for the handful of you that have seen it, is there was a race in there called the Deltans, okay? Let's note here, Greek designation, all right, they're named after Delta. And the Deltans were a very sexual race. They were what they called sexually advanced, where they... like the Except... <laughs> They were free with their sexuality, but they realized that created problems for humans, so they curbed it around humans. They didn't do it around humans because they knew it would create issues. 
And so they only expressed that in certain environments. So they were both really open and really repressed at the same time. And something else they had was they had, it was implied, some kind of psionic ability that they were unusually in tune with the people around them. All right, so when Phase 2 got scrapped for Star Trek The Next Generation, guess what? That race stuck around, but they renamed them. They just picked a different Greek letter. Beta. The Deltons became the Betazoid. And so the Betazoid were not as sexually free as the Deltons, but they were... Because you're on television. But Sure. <laughs> but they were more sexually, quote-unquote, liberated than humans were. Their weddings were butt-naked and all this stuff. And they had psionic powers and all this kind of stuff, all right? So when I was running a Star Trek game that was set in the original movie era, so Wrath of Khan style era, Carla said to me that, because she was a big fan of Next Generation, she wanted to play a Betazoid. Now, the fastest Star Trek game was written in the era of the original series bleeding over into the original movies and the very barest start of next generation which really didn't fit into the rules they had written i mean it was horribly shoehorned in and so i was looking at the rules for psionics in the fastest star trek game which really only covered things like the vulcan mind meld it didn't cover things like a betazoid who can just hear your thoughts sitting across the room so I had to hijack and sort of repen these rules to fit the reality of what Carla wanted to play, which was not like Deanna Troy. This was not a half Betazoid who could kind of feel emotions. No, I mean, she was full Betazoid. She could hear and affect the thoughts of other people. And all I had to go on for this was, well, what are the rules that are there for the Vulcan mind meld? And having all the decades I do of experience in role-playing games, how do I rebalance this so it's not a total game-breaker? And how do I design the race at the plus and minus attribute levels so they're balanced with the other races and so on and so forth? Because I don't want them to have all the bonuses of every other race and their psychic on top of that. But the point is that I couldn't half-ass this. Because if I said to her, well... I mean, there was this plot point where they got abducted by some Orion pirates. And they were trying to confuse the Orion pirates by having her character make them hear things like going wrong with the ship that weren't going wrong. Well, I can't say just roll high and we'll go Mm. with it. Because now that's become precedent for the rest of the game. Mm. I mean, I have to look at those rules and say, well, okay, based on the circumstances... He's this willing to hear it. He's this bought into it. Is this plausible of an idea? Hmm. You know, his mental fortitude is this. Your mental fortitude is that. I've got to come up with a set of rules for this. And fortunately, the Vulcan mind meld rules are ballpark enough that I was able to hijack them for a Betazoid without too much trouble. I think I would have taken the Johnny G approach with this. You know, first game... Nobody is familiar with the rules. Nobody's familiar with the game. I mean, obviously, you were. Sure. I mean, this is literally the first role-playing game I played. Right. But the concept here is that nobody's familiar with it. We're just rolling into it, and somebody comes up and says, well, I want to play this Bezo. I mean, it's like going up to a game master, and even if you do know all the rules and stuff, 
we're playing D anD D. Well, I want to play a uh, steampunk lightning scientist. No, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I mean that's the answer. Yeah, right? I, I think certainly if you are introducing something new that is not just new to the group, but is also new to the game yeah, master. Like you gotta look. I have said many times, I am not a yes and GM. I right. am a yes but GM, and I think part of yes but might be like yes but no. Right. And, yeah. Or yes, but there are going to be so many restrictions on this is not going to be what you thought. Been I think like, this is a different case than that, yeah. though. This is something that you have a bunch of fairly new players coming in, new to role playing game. You have one that is excited for the setting, knows the setting. And this is something out of the setting the system just doesn't do. I think that's a little different than uh, I want to be a steampunk well, warrior. And my take on that, is, yeah, you know, you're right. I don't disagree yeah. with you. My t- I would be afraid that if you said no, you would lose their excitement and buy-in. My take on it would be, this is your first game. Not first Star Trek game. This is your first game. This is a lot of these people's first game. And I have to juggle their wants, needs, and, and kind of, yeah. you know, I have to sheepdog everybody here. So I got a lot going on. No. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and maybe that you know, like maybe on our second game, sure, you know, and but it, not not our freshman. It effort worked here. in this case right. because well, I'm so familiar. Yeah, with I have been system. playing the Star Trek FASA game right. since 19 freaking 88. Okay, yeah. Reagan was president when I was playing Star Trek. If you've not ever heard Ronnie's rap, go look it up on YouTube. It's hilarious. <laughs> you will not understand it if you're not Gen X or earlier. But the point is that it's still freaking hilarious. The point is that I knew these rules, and so I felt comfortable mm-hmm. tweaking the rules for Vulcan Mind Meld to work for a radiating or ambient psionic ability. But, but, but yeah. let me take the other game that came shortly after that Star Trek game. I ran for their, a an overlapping group. It was not the same group. It was an overlapping group, which was a D&D game. And as the reference point, because big shock, this is a reference point for D&D, I gave them Lord of the Rings. Now, they'd all seen the Lord of the Rings sure. movie. There is no character in Lord of the Rings you can name. I can't vaguely peg to something sure. in D&D. I mean, it was a huge influence on the entire concept sure. of D&D, along with other books. Uh, certainly, well. at least yeah. within the good guy characters. Yeah. Okay. Now, maybe there's a hand... Uh, you've got magic weapons, you've sure. got different kind of races, you have different kind of classes, it's a very good needle. And I yeah. guess there's a handful where maybe they don't fit in power-wise, like Tom Bombadil or something like that. Mm-hmm. But even then, conceptually, I can peg him to something. Sure. I mean, he's a sorcerer or a druid. I mean, I can peg him to something. And he's so ridiculous in the books, too, it's better just to ignore him. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, like the movies. Do. If someone says I want to play Aragorn, I can tell you what Aragorn is. Right. If somebody says I want to play Legolas, I can tell you what Legolas is. You know, I mean, I can at least ballpark you on all of these. And I didn't have anybody come at me wildly out I of that. I want to play field. Ringwraith. But I, I think there <laughs> yeah. is certainly a fairness to that of saying, okay, guys, whether I know the system or not, this is your first outing. Mm-hmm. You don't understand the significance of the things you're picking. Like, I want you it's to a, understand what a strength attribute is. Yeah. I don't want you to understand what steampunk lightning ring wraith betazoids are. Yeah. And so maybe we should keep it a little more vanilla here. Yeah. And now I was comfortable letting Carla run a betazoid. Sure. But I think I would have been equally comfortable telling her, no, if you want to run a highly psionic Vulcan, mm-hmm. we've got rules for that. Yeah. If you even want to run a Dalton, 
they're closer to Vulcans, so maybe I can kind of go along. And I think with there that. are a couple of other like psionic races in the rules too. Uh, Vulcans were at the top of the tier, of course, in the rules. Yeah, but, for, yeah. especially for the original series. Yeah. But you know, there's some things where I could have said no if mm-hmm. I had been any less comfortable. I mean, the only reason I was okay to say yes is because by that point in time, I'd been running that game for 20, 25 years. And so... God, you're old. I know. I am. <laughs> I'm not, but... Yeah, even though you're older than I am. But... <laughs> That's definitely something in a and d game, though, that I would like the players, for their first game, mm-hmm. to play a class I'm familiar with. Yeah. Because... Let's go back to Pathfinder. I wouldn't want somebody's first character to be a gunslinger. Yeah, there's a lot to that class, a lot of things you have to know. And that's a game where you're piling on feet after feet have to be planned out from the beginning. Yeah, too complicated. So let me ask you a question. This maybe we'll wrap the episode up. Do you think external familiarity is important here? And where I'm going with that is when you talk about a Pathfinder gunslinger in the context of traditional D&D canon, in the context of <laughs> canon. <laughs> in the context of Tolkien or C.S. Lewis, you're just firing them off. <laughs> I am. It's yeah. The shooting from the hip. I'm, yeah, I'm blowing a lot here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Concept of a gunslinger doesn't exist in those. But if someone came in with the reference point to Final Fantasy, the gunslinger is a relatively common thing. You know, the, the idea that if the, they played a Final, if Fantasy they put now once again, yeah. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that the game master and the player are both familiar with Final Fantasy. And they say, you know what? I get fantasy, but I want to play Vincent Valentine. Or I want to play, who was the tool user in Final Fantasy VI? I don't remember his name. Which one is Six? Six was the one with Kefka. Oh, yeah. Yeah, whoever that was, I I don't remember the name. But the point is that these were characters who functioned pretty similarly to anyone who's using a sword. But nonetheless, they just so happened to use a gun instead of a bow or a sword. And so the archetype is already pretty well understood. So let's assume for a minute that both the game master and the player get this, that someone comes in and says, I want to play Vincent Valentine in your Tolkien-esque setting. Would that change things for you? Because the reason I said uh, I wouldn't want them to play it is more the complexity of playing the character. Okay. Not the character, the complexity of playing the mechanics of the character, less than how it fits in the setting. So... I can help a player new to the system better if I know that class, know yeah. the rules around the class. I can keep an eye out for things like, you know, hey, did you know this spell can do this? Or you get a bonus because of that. If it's a class I've never played that has mm. a lot of extra rules to it, then oh, I, I can't reach out. I, and no, I, I could definitely get behind that. If you, the game master, are being asked to tread into a place that you yourself have not been, that's a whole new layer of problem. Well, I have a I have a problem with it, too. If we assume that this is the player's first game, like they've never played a role-playing game before, which goes against what the framework limits you've said on the episode. But if they've never played a, a role-playing game before, my problem with it comes from this game I played back when I was a teenager, and this guy was described... It, the, the game had been ongoing, and I, had, I was just in one 
session of it. Was this the Strahd game? The no, Ravenloft? no. Oh, okay. And so I asked this guy, I'm like, oh, so what are you playing? And he's like, oh, it's so cool. You know, he's got this, this stuff that covers him up, but then it can go away. And then he can, like, make the stuff have these big claws and it makes him really big and strong. And then he shoots this stuff out of it and can stick people. I'm like, are you playing Venom? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like you know again if it's a person's very first role-playing game they've yeah. never played the role-playing game before they come to me i want to play vincent valentine i'm like it's no but or no and no but here's why yeah because that's a legitimate thing it's not my thing but i want you to come up with your own concept your first time out yeah now if they're a veteran role player and this is like within the framework of the episode here Veteran role players, new system, new setting, new game for everybody. And they say, you know what? I think I kind of want to play Vincent Valentine in this. Is that something we can work with? And as, as long as it doesn't, you know, go off the road, it's sure. not the steampunk lightning guy. You're right. I'd be like, uh, not my thing, but yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's pretend for the sake of that example that the person asking for the character knows Vincent Valentine. Mm-hmm. I, as the game master, know Vincent Valentine. And am also a Pathfinder. And you're not literally playing Vincent Valentine. Yes, because that, that's a different issue. Dipping into that that's well heavily. But they just want to play a character who's right. akin. To, they, they want to play a gunslinger. Sure. And a vampire gunslinger yeah, and, with one arm that's metal. Yeah, all right. All right. But and the, a headband. This which, is very important. Which, that's what a Warforged or something <laughs> different. But let's just pretend for a minute that it's not that far off the rails. Mm-hmm. That they just want to play somebody who's in a fantasy setting but uses a lock gun, sure. so a wheel lock, flint lock, whatever, as opposed to yep. a sword, all mm-hmm. right? Yep. And there's a rule system for it. And there's a rule yeah. system for it. We're not inventing rules. I know the rules. You know the character concept. As long as they're not shirking on their character concept. Yeah. You know, as long as they're not just saying it's Vincent Valentine and everything but name. Again, I, I want them to I sit know, I down. I that. That's lazy. Yeah. That's lazy. It's also unhelpful because they start I mean, it's to... not necessarily bad. It's a red flag. You know, are they putting enough into this or are they just taking an easy way out? Well, because I think... Okay, and this is off topic, but for a first-time role player, you may be sending the wrong message. Absolutely. That's of, why I would give it no. Of, yeah, the, if you we're playing whatever game, and let's say it's not Marvel... Mm-hmm. And you want to play Venom, I'm sending the message that this is a... That's how it's done. Yeah, that this is a hobby where you just play out your favorite character from another IP. You it's, don't it's create anything. It's not fanfic. Well, yeah, precisely. There are systems that actually encourage that. Yeah. Marvel's Heroic is sure. designed to... If be, somebody you can create me, your own character, but they kind of push you playing... Mm-hmm. The Marvel characters. Or you can Fine. play a Star Wars game where you play Luke, Leia, yeah. blah, blah, blah. If somebody came to me and we were playing Marvel Phase Rip and they said, I want to play Venom, I'd have a very different opinion of that mm-hmm. than if we were playing D&D and someone says, I want to play an elemental conjurer who summons a water elemental that functions like Venom. Right. And to be <laughs> like, yeah, that's cute. No, mm-hmm. we're not doing that because I don't want to send the message that role-playing games are about recycling someone else's intellectual properties as opposed to actually telling your own story. I really hope someone calls us out on this because I totally agree with what you just said. I espouse it myself, and it is complete bullshit. <laughs> it's bull <laughs> because we give the advice of, when you look at our episodes about like how to game master, where do you get your ideas from? You just steal them. You just yeah. draw from yeah. all these different wells and totally but, rip things but, but, off. But, and <laughs> as as a GM, 
I'm taking those characters from the setting and bringing them in. Yeah. Yeah. I say, but, but, but. And the big but on this is that you don't do that, period. Right. This is Venom, comma, and there's a whole... None of your players, if you have, if you knock off Venom and put a Venom knockoff in your game, if you do it right, none of your players should look at you and go, is that... Venom. Venom, yeah, and, and you're that's, like that. That's you know. the issue. There is it's Venom, period, right? As opposed to it's Venom, comma. I've had that happen where somebody I I don't even remember the example, but here's a bad guy or a monster or something like that, and I have invented a whole cloth, and they're fighting, and then somebody looks at me, and it's like, hey, you know what? Did you did you get this from Supernatural? Like, I've never even seen Supernatural. No, listen, you, you totally got this from Supernatural. This is this monster yeah. from this episode. And like, oh, I, I sort of had that with... I hate myself. I ran two <laughs> sessions of... This is at a prior Fear of the Cons a couple years back. I ran the sing-along Lion King game mm-hmm. where I made my own plot line. So sure. it was the Lion King, except you had a lion princess mm-hmm. who you had to like coddle to a role. And my littlest sister is really good at screaming in these horrible high-pitched voices. Yes. So I had her play the lioness that had to be coddled. And every time that she screamed, you would take damage. And if you... (laughs) Both in the game and out. And if you took too much damage, like you went to zero hit points... I pulled out the Riffs Insanity table, <laughs> and you started taking Riffs Insanity's role completely nice. randomly. So it was like, she screams because she's mad that you sang a song wrong, and now you're afraid of boats or whatever mm. nonsense. It was freaking hilarious, right? It was meant to be yeah. a comedy game. But it's a very well-received game, too. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a ton it. of fun. Now, when I ran this game, I have now watched every episode of Archer ever released. Sure. But at the time, I had never watched Archer. And... Tracy was playing in the game mm-hmm. and he's doing a great job, but he was playing. I think it was somebody who's playing like one of the main characters as Archer, <laughs> like literally as yeah. Archer. like he was word for word running. And I didn't recognize it because mm-hmm. I had never watched Archer. So I simply <laughs> had no idea, but it was hilarious in the context of the game because he was just this shiftless, lazy, <laughs> yes, self, highly competent, self-indulgent, <laughs> yeah. We need a brilliant plan. And somebody says, something, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to go with your idea. Mm-hmm. Like he ends up, there's supposed to be this big fight between the lions and the crocodile king or something mm-hmm. like that. And he ends up just BSing him about game night and football until they agree to meet <laughs> up again, and drink beers later. And like no fight ever occurred. <laughs> and it was total nonsense, but it worked because I didn't know what it was. Sure. And so it became its own thing. It wasn't mm-hmm. Archer in Lion King because I didn't know what Archer yeah. was. For you. For me. Now, yeah. I do now. But sure. at the time, I hadn't watched Archer. Anyway, so I just want to wrap this one up. Once again, check the show notes for a link to where you need to go to vote for Jason Fisher and his daughter's show, Reading Radio, because we would really love to see them win this award in Columbus. And I think that'd be a great boost for his daughter. So please do get on that if you have five minutes on the internet, which if you'll see into this, apparently you do. And other than that, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Booth, copyright 2019. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to fearthebooth.com. 
You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.